Welcome to Coding Solo. I'm David Thorpe. And I'm Alex Bilby. Coding Solo is a podcast about freelancing in the UK. This is episode five, and we're going to be talking about meetups, open source projects, and the latest Apple iPhone event. Alex and I finally met at the Laravel London meetup and we're going to discuss why meetups can be a fantastic way to meet other developers and even get work. And open source is a really big part of our work and Alex gives his experience of maintaining and running an open source project. So Alex, uh, I think we start off every episode asking each other what we're drinking. Are you drinking anything? Uh, No, I'm not. (laughs) I've moved um, room where I'm recording this evening and I forgot to bring anything upstairs with me. So I'm not. I'm just staring at an empty glass. Um, which is kind of sad, really. What are you on? That's really sad. I, I'm drinking London Pride. And contrary to um, anyone that's not from the UK, it's not actually a bottle of beer that you get in a rainbow-coloured bottle. It's nothing to do with, like, the London Pride Festival. It is just a beer, and it's really, really nice. Um, yeah, so that's where I'm at tonight. But I can't drink more than one because I'm a real lightweight on beer. <laughs> so how was your holiday? It was really, really cool, man. Um, I'd done a little sort of vlog on it as such uh, about the sort of laravel stuff but yeah no we stayed in utrecht it was really really nice place uh the food is amazing there you're a bit of a foodie aren't you oh i love my food mate you've got to go to utrecht honestly that if you've never had i've never had salmon so good but yeah we stayed there it was really really cool i went to laravel i went to the speaker's dinner at the at at laracon eu and i got so off my face it was unreal i was so drunk because i had five beers that's all i had and like i said i really can't handle beer um i had my skateboard with me um i don't remember much when i <laughs> i run up the escalators the wrong way at utrecht station on the way back i would not have got to amsterdam station if it wasn't for risky uh, i <laughs> fell off my skateboard i cut up my hands and my knees i lost my wallet with my id in and my cards uh so I, and then i missed the entire first day of laracon because i was just hung over on the sofa being sick till 4 p.m. My wife was really pissed off and angry at me because I we'd gone to the hot we we'd gone to the Netherlands for me to go to Laracon and there I was just being sick in the toilet. Uh, so yeah, I managed to get to the second day and it was really really cool and done a little vlog on it. But other than that, really really cool and relaxing, man. <laughs> your your holiday sounds oh sorry your holiday makes mine sound positively uh, dull. Well, yours comparison. yours sounded really relaxing. Oh, it was. Um, yeah, there were ten of us in a in a beautiful giant house with ten bedrooms up in the Tuscany Hills near um, a town called Luca. Mm. Uh, so relaxing, and yeah, I uh, there was even Wi-Fi out there, so I got a little bit of work done as well, which is really naughty of me, but um, needs must sometimes. Yeah, um, working when you're on holiday. Yeah, I know. Well, I don't really like the sun, so. I can only tolerate, even though there was a beautiful pool out in the garden of this house, I, I hate sitting in the sun, especially when it's about 35 degrees outside. So I kind yeah. of flip between going inside and uh, watching the Defender series on Netflix, which had just come out, <laughs> and also doing a, a little ad hoc bit of work here and there. What's your, um, do your boyfriend like the sun? Yeah, he can fall asleep there. He's Yeah, he'll just roll around in the pool. It's great. He loves it. That's like my wife. She just sunbathes all day, and I, I, I'm really, I'm similar to you. If we went Spain once, and I just can't stand the heat, so I just prefer to. Maybe I'll do a little bit, but like too much. That's why I don't actually hate the UK climate too much because I'm, I'm just, I'm quite comfortable in it. No, I'm the same. I don't mind walking around in the heat. So, if, like, if you know, we went, we went to Italy um, earlier in the earlier in the year and at Easter, 
And it was about 30 odd degrees then, but we were walking around all the time and going to bars, you know, had loads of water on us. And I, it's when I'm static that I really hate the sun. Yeah. Well, I can totally relate, man. I can totally relate. <laughs> um, we had an email from Ed Coleridge. Um, we, we did. We love our emails, so keep them coming. But go on. Uh, so a couple of episodes ago, we were talking about mortgages and Ed has written in um, to say, hi guys, just an FYI about mortgages. After hearing the discussion in episode three, I've been contracting for just under a year and secured a mortgage with a website called Habito with no problems. Uh, so I had a little look at this Habito website and it's a bit like a chat bot for finding a mortgage. Um, I didn't go through the full application, obviously, because I'm not actually looking for a mortgage at the minute, but um, it looked really cool. Um, anyway, Ed goes on to say, um, Halifax and Nationwide are the banks you'll have to use through them. They multiply your weekly rate by 48 to figure out a salary and then use that to decide how much they can lend you. By 48? Yeah, so I assume they're just going with four weeks holiday that I guess people with an ordinary job tend to get, unless of course you're a teacher. I'd be doing all right. I'd actually be showing on paper that I earn more than I do. Yeah, same here. That's great. Well, yeah, especially because, like, I, I don't know about you, but I, I think 2017, 2018, yeah, I'm going to be having off maybe eight weeks, nine weeks of holiday again. Sweet. So, yeah, if they're going on 48 weeks, that's awesome. Yeah, it's anyway, really, really I, good. I have definitely bookmarked this website, though. Uh, so thanks, Ed, because uh, hopefully next year I might be looking at getting a mortgage. Ah, where are you thinking of going? What, for the mortgage or to live? No, where are you thinking of living? Oh, I, so... We originally were thinking of moving out of London, um, perhaps to somewhere like York. Oh, um, yeah, we, we, we really like York and I'm from Lincoln and Ash uh, is also from like rural Wiltshire. So we're thinking of York. It's a really beautiful city. It's cheaper than London. Um, it might be expensive for the rest of the UK, but it's still cheaper in London at the end of the day. And then um, we saw a mortgage advisor earlier this year and we can actually afford a lot more than we thought we could having never spoken to a mortgage advisor before. Mm. Um, so actually we've kind of, we're kind of looking at London again now. Oh, So, and there's some opportunities for Ash in his career and I'm really enjoying freelancing and I can see myself doing it for the long term. So I think London's back on, a car- on the cards again. Oh, okay. I was going to, well, you know, I was going to ask you if you were thinking about moving to York or somewhere over in Wiltshire, which by the way is kind of, I think it's mine, Courtney's dream. But one of the big things that's held me back, and I don't know if you thought about this or spoke about this with Ash, is at the moment, and <clears throat> I've always said this, if, if work dries up, I can just head into London. So it's really close and it's really useful in that sense. Did you have any sort of reservations within that sense? Um, Yeah, I, I've always felt like if, it, yeah, exactly the same. If work dried up and I couldn't get freelance work, then I could just get an ordinary job. Yeah. Or there's tons of companies out there doing remote work, so... Yeah, there's um, more and more I see that's the thing. And uh, it's quite encouraging, at least, to know that if you did move somewhere else, at least there's a, a higher possibility you could get something remote. It's Yeah, I think it'd be more of a, a problem for him because he's a teacher. And as soon as you leave uh, London, um, then his salary would, would drop quite a bit. Right. So I think he wants to, if we if we did seriously consider moving out of London, I think we'd... Um, I think he wants to wait until he's higher up the food chain in, in his current school so that he could jump into a high, oh, a better paid role at another school outside of London to try and compensate somewhat for the, the drop in salary. That makes sense. 
because uh, it would be, you know, a big job, like 10, 15 grand potentially, depending on, you know, what sort of level of teaching it goes in at. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah, it is a lot. It's, it's really crazy. It's even worse for um, other public sector jobs, but teaching, you know, it, it, there's the London, the London waiting. I think there's outer London, there's inner London, and he's in the outer London band at the moment uh, for where his school is. And it's, um, yeah, it'll be quite a drop even with the, yeah, it would just be quite a drop. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's a huge amount. So you've got to really consider that, haven't you? Well, for now, we just carry on saving, but it is super useful to know more about mortgages. And uh, yeah, when we eventually get this mythical accountant on the on <laughs> the podcasts, I, I will be certainly asking about mortgages. Yeah, I think it's a, a really valuable episode for, for listeners because there's all these services, but... Um, and I think you're like a perfect candidate in a sense because uh, you'll probably have a lot of questions that because when I first got a mortgage that's the that's the key is like the, getting that first mortgage but when I first got a mortgage I, I wasn't self-employed so I've got no idea how it works getting your first mortgage so I think like you and Ash have probably got a lot of questions that you can ask that's relevant to all of our listeners and whatnot um, to, to a mortgage advisor that these websites can't maybe specifically answer so yeah it'd be interesting one day yeah. Yeah, one day, one day, hopefully, maybe in a year's time or so. <laughs> yeah, we are the best at procrastinating, so, you know. Okay, so uh, whilst recording this, I put out a um, a message on the Laravel UK Slack channel, just basically asking if anyone's got any questions um, for us, then to, to fire them our way, because we're doing an episode right now. Um, and Dan Barrett, who I know is actually looking to move into the freelance space, um, He's kind of just deciding his niche and whatnot and trying to just get set up with everything that he needs to get going. He's asked the question, how do you stay motivated when times are drier and there isn't much work coming your way? What do you do to cure the problem? Um, so for me, Alex, I don't know if you've had this issue, but for me, what I tend to do is if work's dry and it's maybe a week in, I start to go into panic mode. <laughs> um, and I think i start beating myself up like subconsciously thinking why didn't i why didn't i think about this before why didn't i put stuff in place to make sure i've always got a consistent pipeline of work uh, and then i start going into like crazy marketing overdrive and i'll start um <clears throat> i'll start creating little side projects here and there like lara gigs is what i started when i didn't have much work because i thought that'd be a good way to promote things and get a little bit of money in and whatnot um but it's essentially I start to if work becomes really really dry and I've always said this I start to put my, my CV out to uh, recruiters for a freelance gig somewhere in the city as a sort of contract type thing so I've never fallen upon hard times in that I wasn't even able to get that um, I don't have much advice to give if you're if you're not able to do that really um, I think it's just to stay sane and realize that as much as it sucks money doesn't define you uh, no, I I agree with that actually. I in that um, fortunately, I think in our industry and especially here in London as well, it's uh, there are loads of contracts out there at the minute. So the the one time I've experienced a dry period, I also went into panic mode. I actually started looking at permanent jobs. Yeah, I've done it. Everyone's uh, done it. wondering if you know what happens if I can't get another gig. Wondering if it's all uh, worth it. Yeah, exactly. It's such a, is it worth it? What's my accounting going to think? What's my mortgage advisor, you know, or the bank in three years' time when I get a, a mortgage going to think about this one dry period I had? So yeah, I went into this whole panic period. But touch wood, I've, I've, that's the only dry period I've had. Um, and in terms of other, well, when I've been in between contracts, like a few days or a week or so, I've got, I've always got side projects I'm working on or 
tinkering or thinking about and pretending that I'm going to make a business out of it. And then we're in our head in the sand with you. Yeah. But I'm going to buy a domain and then forget about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which I know you do too, David. <laughs> I'm really good at that, man. I'm the best at dom- buying domains. I bought some more ones recently, actually. Um, but that, that I've not, that I've not used. I forget what they were. That's how much that I've, um, really shouldn't have bought it is that I've even I've forgotten what they even were and I've forgotten what <laughs> domain register I even fucking bought them with but you know there we are doing it again so <laughs> there's, a, there's another question from uh, Peter who's uh, basically said how do you estimate how long a project or task is going to take in order to not promise more than you can deliver in the time available i.e. within a contract period is it just experience or do you have ways to figure this stuff out my answer to Peter would be that it is a combination of the two so if I'm tasked with creating a Let's say I've got uh, four weeks and I'm and someone wants loads of stuff done in four weeks. I'll basically sit down and say, okay, what can I do? I, a login system I know from experience generally takes me, I don't know, two or three days. If I want it styled up really, really nice, uh, maybe a little bit more. That, that's not actually how long it takes, but just as an example. Now, if you've listened to some of the previous episodes, I've mentioned I've got a little app out there called Estimator and it's E-S-T. We'll put it in the show notes, but you can go on there and you can actually say, okay, worst case, I think it was going to take me three days. Best case, it would take me, um, normal case, it will take me like uh, two, uh, but best case, it might, uh, worst case, it might take me something else and it'll work, use standard deviation to work out what it's likely to do. So you can do that, but um, I think the safest way, and this is talking from someone that nearly got sued because I did it the wrong way, the safest thing that you can do is to follow ThoughtBot's model, which is to try and do things if you're working with a client directly and it's not a contract thing. So try and do things on like an estimate basis. This is just an estimate. And if you've got four weeks, we'll see how far we get. And just to keep that client updated as often as possible, because that's all you can that's all you can do. And often we're tasked with building things that we've never built before and that often other people haven't been built before. So it's kind of unrealistic for clients and even yourself to expect to create an estimate that's super accurate because often we just don't know. Yep. There's definitely an element of experience about it as well. Like I I know as a rule, I take actually fifty percent to seventy five percent longer than I think I'm gonna take to do anything. Um yeah. just because just just because thing. by the time you sat down writing code you, 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 hey th- things crop up um like unknown bugs or you sit there wondering why your docker container won't launch or you know things come up that you can't foresee and sometimes you'll be completely wrong actually it takes you half the time you predicted or estimated even not predicted um and therefore you could therefore if you spend a little bit longer on another feature it doesn't matter too much because hopefully it balances out over time. It's getting to know yourself, I think, as a developer and uh, how long it takes you to... Uh, actually, I really like what you said there, that you know generally it takes you 50% longer than you think. And actually, I think that's quite a, a good metric to to do things on because I would say that for me, it's actually probably about 75% extra than what I think it would do. So it's interesting how we've got these different percentages. Um, I might actually start to use that on things as well. It can be quite difficult because you know in your head like, okay, well, I'm going to write this login system. I know conceptually what that involves and therefore actually it's, it's actually really easy to do. However, it just takes time. And there's always that fine line between, of you know, you know exactly how long, how to do it, but it, it's laborious to do, or it's actually really difficult, but it's quite easy to do you just mentally you think it's going to take around the mental yeah, model yeah yeah because it, you've just, you've just got to mentally weigh yourself or, or prepare yourself to do it and just slog through it whatever that laborious task might be 
Yeah. So in short, mate, just estimate it and just try and keep your client up to date as much as possible and be super honest early on if you don't think you're going to hear what you what you said because from experience you do not want to leave it to the last minute and say oh uh, i might not be hitting what i said i'd hit because then you get in big trouble and they try and take you to court don't do that uh, so uh, we've got um joe priest uh, has asked what's the best methods to deal with problem clients and to de-escalate potential arguments over disagreements um alex any thoughts so problem clients who don't pay you on time as I've discussed uh, in previous episodes, I now get my accounting software to send a snark email saying, oops, it looks like you forgot to pay me instead of me doing it because it takes the awkwardness out of it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems to be working as well. Touch wood. Um, and I have got real wood here in front of me and like you. No, um, I just, <laughs> it seems to, uh, it seems to be working so far. Um, in terms of uh, the, the only other like problems I can think of that I've encountered are perhaps disagreements over features. So it might be the client really, really has got their heart set on, I don't know, having um, yellow text on a red background as an example. Um, but I know from a usability point of view, that's terrible. And I think there is an element of you have to not force your opinion on them, but you do have to sometimes remind people that, you know, they've hired you as the expert and yeah, You've got to be as polite and as flowery in many ways to 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 try and put your opinion on on them. But so sometimes you also just have to give in because at the end of the day, it's their business, not yours. And this is what they want. And you have to uh, remove yourself from the situation because it might be that, you know, it's, uh, yeah, sometimes people have to make their own mistakes and, you, you might, them, yeah. yeah, you might know better and you can give all the advice in the world, but if someone chooses to ignore you, then what can you do? You can have, well, I guess you can never get stroppy and walk out and say, well, I don't want to work with someone who's not prepared to do exactly what I tell them or suggest them, or you, I guess, put up and shut up and do the best you work you can do for them. But, you know, you've done your duty and advised them and they have to experience the flaws for themselves. For sure. And um, I think taking it, having a look at it potentially from a different angle as well, if you if you find that you're having sort of arguments or disagreements over things you've said you'd deliver, and then when you do deliver them, the client is disagreeing or arguing over what you've delivered is not right. Or uh, I think what, what you need to take a look at there is how you're kind of managing that project. Um, and to think okay well at, by, by doing what you've done at the minute potentially you've introduced like quite a bit of risk for yourself there and like that's the thing that we want to try and like avoid as consultants and contractors and freelancers is like reduce that risk as much as possible so think about the processes that you can potentially put in place to reduce that so i think one of the things that i found really really useful is i i'm not a huge fan of agile if i'm honest with you i don't really like it but i do like the fact that everyone gets together at the beginning of a sprint and everyone goes through the tickets and them tickets are concrete like everyone knows as soon as that development work begins they know exactly what's getting done at the end of it and those daily stand-ups where you're constant and i think communication is, is actually kind of key to a lot of these questions you're communicating to and from with a client they know what's getting done and if it's starting to look like it's going off track from their perspective they can tell you straight away and you can work it out uh, often i've found disagreements over features to be the case when you're working in a very waterfall style development where someone says here's 15 grand go and build me a system and you come back after two months with something completely different to what they said they wanted um so I, i'm not convinced that that's a good way to work 
for uh, for everyone um so take take a look at that if you find that's the issue as well and read a book called how to win friends and influence people it's really <laughs> it's really really good um for keeping you cool and de-escalating arguments because ultimately this is just business they want something at the end of it that's providing them value and you want to provide them value and i'm sure you can all get on if you uh, if you figure it out so yeah yeah the, the only thing other thing i'd add is uh make sure you've got some professional indemnity insurance just in case things do go really wrong and your relationship completely breaks down and your client decides to you know take you to court or, or whatever it might be you know get make sure you've got some business insurance yeah definitely and maybe i don't know an element of flexibility like I've done quite a bit of unpaid work for clients, but it's come back and I've managed to get more work out of it um, just because I've been a little bit flexible and stuff. Um, and being being a bit flexible is a lot cheaper than being taken to court. I'm not saying let clients walk over you, but it's just it's just a fine line, really. It's, it's up to you to decide what you're comfortable doing and whatnot. But yeah, I think it comes down to that processes um, in the first place. So Yeah, I, 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 like, I like what you've just said, because at the end of the day, you're an individual working... You, you're not a faceless corporation. You're a sing- you're an individual, and therefore, you unlike a big faceless corporation, you've got the ability to be a human being and have a human relationship with your clients. So, you should make sure it's the best human relationship it can be, um, and not you know it, it shouldn't be a relationship via email or via support at companyname dot com. Yeah, you can do it, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> We uh we finally met each other. Yeah, we did at the Laravel London meetup. Yeah, so you um you had you told me it was on. I had no idea about it, and I came along. And our intention was to record a podcast that evening after the event. Um, yeah, which we tried to do. We but all, the only place we could really find in Canary Wharf to record was a pub, and I think well you you. You had the monitors. You said the, the the microphone sounded fine, but we couldn't hear each other. So yeah, like I put the headphones on and it sounded like perfect, but we actually couldn't hear each other in like real life. So <laughs> it was, yeah, we had to kind of bail on that, and we just thought, oh, we'll just enjoy the drink that we're having instead. Absolutely. The other thing we bailed on was uh, just before we met up, I went into a prep and bought two chocolate mousses. I thought, oh, David's going to love this. And I, <laughs> I, I had in my head that the opening of the podcast episode could be just as munching and enjoying and, <laughs> you know, practically mouth orgasming over these prep mousses. And that would be the intro to the show. But anyway, I threw these in the bottom of my spare bag I bought with me, had all my equipment in. And then uh, we were at the pub after the event and most people had left and there's just a few of us around the table. And I just suddenly had this this uh, moment where I thought, oh shit, you know, because those, those prep mousses, the, the lids aren't secure on them. Anyway, I opened up my bag, put my hands in and pulled out a hand that was just covered in brown <laughs> gooiness and just the, the, the collective uh, around the oh, table. I felt the pub. so bad for you, man. I really did. I was like, oh, and it was all over your like equipment and everything. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, got had a very moosey pop filter, and then <laughs> my head, my headphones, um, which I'm actually wearing tonight. I thought were going to be wrecked, but um, oh, you salvaged it, them! Yeah, I salvaged them. So I let basically it's kind of disgusting, but I let everything just sit for a while, or for a couple of days even until the moose, <laughs> to mo- until the moose had somewhat hardened. 
Um, <laughs> and then I took I took each bit out and then was there with like an old toothbrush and um, a toothpick and was essentially just cleaning individual bits of or individual flecks of chocolate mousse off um, like a pop filter, which is not the easiest task. Um, anyway, I think I've salvaged everything. The headphones that I'm wearing now definitely work, which is awesome. So I doubt they work. Uh, the Bluetooth works in them anymore, but I'm plugged in at the moment straight into the microphone. So they're working, which I'm happy about. The pop filter's cleaned. Uh, the mic stand is cleaned. Fortunately, I didn't get anything on the microphone itself, but yeah. Oh man, that what a mess. The bag's clean as well. Oh, you I turned Yeah, so I turned the bag inside out and it just looked like I'd left a baby in there which had just shat itself and all oh it man, it was nasty. <laughs> the only redeeming thing was when I got home that evening and uh I was looking through the bag just to see, you know, just to try and evaluate what a disaster or the, the state you know, the state of the disaster. Um the second pot of mousse had only partially rupted. So I did get to eat about two thirds of a pot. You didn't. You actually tucked into it. <laughs> it was slightly warm, but <laughs> you animal, mate. Did you see? Um, did you see on Twitter that I put that Pret have got something to fucking answer for, and then they started replying, "It's not my fault. It's not our fault." Blah blah blah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's poor some poor kid on social media for the Pret who's got no idea what's going on, but can just see your sweary tweets at them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, <clears throat> hopefully. If we keep mentioning Pret enough, I really, do you know, I think my life's goal from this podcast is not only to help listeners understand freelancing and all that stuff, but I actually think above that is that I want Pret to send us free mooses. My yeah. life will be complete, man, if that happens. Yeah, maybe we need to get onto um, Pret HQ. Yeah, Pret PR or whatever it is. Because they're, they're, they're we're quite promoting they're them quite, so much, man. Uh, do you remember when Pret were giving out free coffees if you smiled or looked beautiful or, so, or some, some no. strange reason oh so a while ago it must have been it must have been about two years ago it was, I think it was just like a summer stunt they were doing I can't remember if you looked pretty or if um, you were just really polite to the to the person serving you but they give you a free coffee so maybe if we keep uh, mentioning Pratt or and you know and stop abusing them on Twitter they might they yeah, might send us something. I love, I love doing a little bit of subtle... Um, lo- it's like loving abuse. Sarcastic <laughs> abuse, man. But I, they're an American company. I don't think they'd get it. Yeah. Can you imagine what... Can you imagine the sort of abuse that um, like Southern Rails social media team have to deal with? <laughs> oh, you just wouldn't, would you? Like, if you found out that was your job, you'd just be like, nope. There, there, I remember earlier this year, there was um, some kid who was on work experience on their social media team. And it, I can't remember, it was in, it was all over Twitter, ironically, but um, how this kid was replying to all of these people's snarky tweets uh, aimed at Southern Rail. And he just completely missed the humour, bless him. But um, it was quite funny. <laughs> oh, poor sod. <laughs> so did you see last week, there was an article going around uh, from some guy called Rich or Richard, who is a freelancer and he banks with HSBC and they completely screwed his business. Um, I did. This was on Hacker News as well, wasn't it? Yeah, it was on Hacker News. And then I actually, I was listening to the uh, Radio 4 Moneybox podcast over the weekend and apparently HSBC are doing this to churches and charities and all sorts of other organisations. But um, not terrorist organisations, ironically. 
<laughs> no, no. Seemingly just uh, innocent, innocent UK businesses. Yeah, fuck those guys, man. Yeah, so we'll put a, we'll put a link into the show notes for this uh, to to this uh, blog post this guy wrote, but um, it's kind of terrifying. Essentially, HSBC are currently auditing all of their all of their business customers because they got sued last year by the American government for essentially allowing I think it was Mexican drug cartels <laughs> for uh, banking with them. Anyway, so HSBC are slowly going through their entire worldwide customer base. And it seems like they're being quite heavy handed in the UK. And anyway, this guy um, seems to have, he's basically, hes he had his account locked first time round, or the first time round even, he had his account locked um, whilst they did a fraud update. But of course, rather than just getting in touch, they actually, uh, to do you know some further KYC, they just locked his account and waited for him to get in touch to find out what was going on. Um, anyway, he went through that KYC process there. They're making all the business customers go through and then they locked his account a second time, but wouldn't tell anyone. I think this lasted for about a month or so or two months. Sorry. The account was suspended, but anyway, it completely shut down his business because he couldn't pay for anything. He couldn't, uh, he couldn't get paid either. Um, of course, and because, yeah. and because, you know, all his accounts are locked, his cards are blocked. So because by the, by the looks of it, or the screenshot he's got in the blog post, he's so reliant for his business on software as a service, um, apps, of course, it, they're all subscriptions. So his card was blocked. So therefore they weren't, um, elig- they couldn't get paid. And so they started locking him out and it just sounds like a complete disaster. It, do, it, do you know what, man? It's the, that's the sort of shit that you'd expect from PayPal, or like you've heard enough horror stories with, of them to know that's the sort of stuff they and stunts they pull. But like a major bank is ridiculous. And I, do you know, what? it makes me that come out about two weeks after I moved over my personal accounts from Barclays to First Direct, which is technically just HSBC but with a prettier name. I was so annoyed. Oh yeah, I'm I'm with First Direct as well, but they've got a terrible web app. Their, their iOS app isn't too bad, but the, the web app is something out like the 1990s. Yeah, it actually loads in a fixed width win- and height window, doesn't it? Yeah, and you get pop-ups and all sorts. It's crazy. But no, I I assume you've just gone through this having lost your wallet, which I assume could turn your business cards. But I lost my wallet over the summer as well. And annoyingly, I got the wallet back, but not before I cancelled all the cards. And um, Metro Bank took forever to send me a new card and in the meantime I started to get locked out of things so I got locked out of my GitHub my business GitHub accounts oh. um, which is fine because I, I was in a position where I could just switch it to the one card that wasn't in my wallet that I keep in you know a safe, sp- safe place in the house just mm-hmm. for like those sort of emergencies but um, yeah I, like this it's kind of scary this um, what this guy went through and I I, I don't know how how you cope well, not when it's like, yeah, that's the thing. Isn't it? When you lose your card, it's just your card. But like the ability to actually stop being like, you can you lose your card, you can still log into the bank interface, you can still get paid by your clients, you can still transfer it to your personal account. But man, I can't imagine. Like it actually would because for little people like us and freelancers, your business it might might be your business, and yeah, technically it's a separate entity, and same with a bank account. But essentially, it is just you, and without that kind of income stream, you're actually fucked. You can't pay your bills. You're like, everything goes out the window. I feel so sorry for that guy when I was reading that. Yeah, I think he said he ends up maxing out a credit card, a personal credit card to solve oh. the problem. But but then you've got the other problem of that, you know, and it might be that you can get paid it, 
paid by your clients into your personal account, but then you're starting to muddle your business, you know, your limited business accounts of your personal accounts. And, you know, if yeah. you get audit, if you get audited by HMRC and you've made, you know, the smallest mistake, then they're going to, you know, yeah, more than wrap it. Yeah. They're going to more than wrap you on the knuckles. They're really going to go to town on you. Um, so I, I, yeah, I don't know really what else to say about this article. I just, I just saw it on Hacker News like you did and just thought it was slightly terrifying. Yeah. And there's there's people saying, you know, that you can do all sorts of things like separating your accounts in different banks to, to circumvent it. But, you know, it's, I don't know, you can go crazy with that sort of thing. And it's just like, it's a, just, I don't know whether he drew a short straw or whether or not this is more commonplace than we know. I don't know. So what they were saying on the, the Moneybox podcast that I listened to over the weekend was that, um, this seems to be happening to thousands of businesses. Um, uh, and yeah, HSBC just seemed to have really screwed up on this, on this process. Um, but then it could happen to any bank. It could happen therefore to any of us. So I don't, yeah, I don't really know what, what to do about it. I guess I'm small enough that I don't, I don't really have enough money in my business accounts that I could start to separate out into multiple banks to try and mitigate that risk. But yeah, I think you're right. I, I think maybe similar to you, to you then what, what I do is that I tend to, I pull the money out quite regularly. It's not like I'm saving money to invest in things or that I pull a dividend out maybe every three months. I generally do it every month. So, but then what, but then what would happen though, if say like I did, I, I paid my um, end of year taxes the other day. Uh, and you know, that was, you know, what, about 12 grand that I pay to HMRC. What if I couldn't access that money? I, I you know, I've got, yeah, good I've point. got, I've got my, I've got my house deposit savings that I could probably dip into, but that would mean ruining my ISAs. Yeah. And with, to, to with, pull that money out. And, you know, no guarantee and, you'll even get that account back open again. And it's, well, yeah, yeah, exactly. And if this had happened, you know, in January when self-assessments are due and such, I, you know, touch with it will never happen to us. But um, yeah, it sounds, it sounds, like maybe a, yeah, maybe it's worth having like a little stash put aside. I don't know. It, you shouldn't even have. To, this isn't even something you should have to worry about. Do you know what I mean? But clearly it is because it's happening. It's bad. Well, at least hey, at least neither I neither of us bank with HSBC. Yeah, but I've got but I've got I've got contractor friends who do though. So I'm just hoping now, you know, having reread this article today before we recorded, that uh, they don't get caught up down the road. But yeah. I've been anyway. with Barclays. I, do you know what? I've been with Barclays and I've done, um, Rizky, who was one of the speakers at um, Laracon, I actually did some work with him in the uh, initially for a long time, actually. He was doing some work through my company and I was passing it on to my client um, and I was paying him. He's from Indonesia. So I was actually doing a lot of bank transfers out of Barclays. Like, and I'm talking about like five or six grand a month type thing out of my, my sort of business account at Barclays straight to Indonesia. And although I kind of had to sign a few forms and whatnot, I, I never got anything blocked. So I can't, I can't say I've had a bad experience with Barclays. So, you know, until, until I do, and uh, let's hope I don't touch wood. Oh, fuck, everything's fake wood. I'm just trying to touch some wood. Oh, MDF, <laughs> MDF will do. That's wood. It's just pulp. Uh, yeah, touch wood. I've not had a problem with them. So, you know, until I do, maybe I'll just try and pretend I've not read that article because it's scary. <laughs> what did you uh, What did you think of the Laravel meetup, by the way? Because you, have you ever been to one, the London one? No, I haven't. So um, I've not been to a meetup in ages. Um, I used to go to quite a few when I moved to London, but just they, they've, all, they've always been really inconveniently. Uh, they've, they've all, I've always planned to go to them, whether it's the AWS one. I've been to Swift London. I've been to, I used to go to PHP London every so often. Um, 
but they they always seem to book themselves on really inconvenient days so i don't get to go to them very often um anyway i really enjoyed it actually um really nice friendly bunch and i've since joined the um the slack community and it's not like any sort of um php group certainly that i've joined before because everyone's so nice and british and friendly <laughs> yeah that's i do you know what is that it's my favorite slack group and i'm on a lot and uh yeah i don't know everyone just seems like mates it's quite cool yeah and very welcoming um but no w- w- one thing one takeaway i did have of this meetup is i really need to go to more with them because i actually ran out of business cards did you really um, yeah in the sp- i'm like admittedly i only had about seven with me but um i gave all seven out um, and I've actually had one person already email me uh, asking me when I'm next available. So, um, yeah, there's, I've never, I've never given a business card out there, but I, I do constantly tell people that I really hate development and that I'm moving away from it. So that'll probably be why. <laughs> See, I was just on the charm offensive. Um, sometimes I, I find <laughs> that I, uh, I'm quite introverted at these sort of events. When I went to the AWS events in the big AWS event in London, back in June, everyone was really rushed around because there were so many sessions that were going on that no one really wanted to stand around and chat. And yeah. so I felt, I, I, I was very conscious that I spent the day by myself and didn't really have any interaction with other people, uh, other delegates, um, as it were, um, mostly just AWS staff. Whereas this, these meetups, I'm way more extroverted and you can really, you have some great chats with people. And I feel like I've met a few friends that I've been, since, since I've, since I've uh, I went there, I've actually been speaking. I've I've had multiple conversations or private conversations with uh, people in Slack that have been going since since that Tuesday, which is great. So I, I you know, even those early days, you know, I, I think meetups are a great way to to make some friends as well, especially when you're you know you live in a big city as well, where making friends is kind of hard actually. Yeah, and <clears throat> I I don't know. I really like that meetup. There's a lot of there's a lot of people that go that um, I don't know. I think it's just, I think everyone's kind of like got their own thing as well. Like I know that Max that goes, who works at Vice, I love Max. He's like, he seems, (laughs) he seems like the most pessimistic, like hates life type person. But he always says to me, no, Dave, this is me. Like trying to be enthusiastic. It's just the way I am. It's just my face. (laughs) (laughs) I think Everyone's uh, really cool, man. Yeah, no, they are. I've actually offered to, uh, I was talking to the guy who runs it. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. John T or John, yeah. Yeah, I was talking to him and I've offered actually if it's if it's not when I'm at the AWS event in Las Vegas at the end of November, beginning of December, I've offered to do a talk at the next event. Uh, I remember you telling me what you was going to talk about and I definitely think that it's something that other developers would be interested in. And for context, those uh, listening, I think you was thinking about doing a talk on AWS, right? Yeah, so everyone knows about uh, things like EC2 and S3 um and DynamoDB and RDS and such. But I was thinking about doing a talk um that I was going to submit to another conference actually, but I was thinking about doing a talk along the lines of 10 AWS services you didn't know they offered. Yeah. Because AW, AWS is a platform as have got about I think it's I think it's almost 80 services now. Um Would and you say really... you can actually do everything you'd ever need within AWS. Yes. So lots of people get really put off with AWS because the UI for the console is terrible and they don't call, they don't call things like a virtual server a virtual server they call it an instance and then you need to know that you need to use the EC2 service to spin up these virtual server instances and things like that so they've got these weird naming conventions for their services but if you're prepared to 
Well, first of all, they've got amazing APIs. And if you've got the time to write the glue between the different services, then yeah, I, I reckon you could launch pretty much any any business you wanted to on there. That's quite encouraging. So anyway, so I've got what I've got in mind is a talk um, along the lines of here's some really cool services that you probably didn't know existed, but you can take advantage of and they're either really cheap or they're completely free. So one I've been playing with recently, which I'm in love with, is called X-Ray. Okay. And it was launched. It was launched last year, and it's now generally available. And what X-Ray is, it's a distributed tracing service. So what that, what that means, uh, kind of where the bullshit. What it means is that if you've got um, like a microservices architecture, or even just a single service that is calling out to um, like uh, a third party API or um, another AWS service like um, DynamoDB or S3 or SQS, mm. um, basically what it does is. Uh, you wrap those calls to other services um, with essentially like little timers. And what it does is it builds up um, a map of all the different services. So, and you can view, so any individual request that comes in, uh, depending on how you configure it, but any individual request that comes in to your, say your API, you can see it hitting your API and then you can hit it, say, you can, you can then see it hitting in a map form, um, like microservice one, which in turn calls, microservices two and three wow and number three calls sqs and number four so you call... can find like bottlenecks and all sorts yeah exactly and you get and for each service that gets hit you can see like average latency you can see um percentage of calls that were successful versus percentage of calls that were either client error or server error um you can see where the throttle where you're being throttled by aws services you can see where um services are failing and how um, your services are rooting around them or they're not rooting around them and they're being, uh, the, the, you know, the requests are failing. It's brilliant, this service. Uh, it's Once I got my head around it, because AWS's documentation can sometimes be a little lacking, um, there was a lot of reading, like reading the source code to try and work out what was going on. Uh, but anyway, once I got my head around it, I am in love with this thing. It's, uh, it, it's my new favorite AWS service. Yeah, it looks... Um... It looks super useful. You, I think you touched on quite a, a good point there. AWS is like the documentation can be super, um, you say Verbose. you say sparse, but to me, like for someone that has like quite very, well, little experience of AWS, if I look into the documentation of certain products, it seems super dense. Like I can't, it's not very user-friendly to be able to look at and just say, okay, right, well, that does that. Give me an example of what I'd want to do with an example app. It's quite hard to, like, you've got like a genius brain because you can go in and understand what it means. And you're like our translator, Alex, man. You can translate <laughs> it for the common folk. I, I think you're right. I think actually... You've made a good point. The documentation is really dense, but it's because they exp they have to explain it so much because you've got so many internal keywords to get your head around and services and such. Whereas for me, because I know all the services like the back of my hand, I find it um, lacking the documentation because sometimes I really struggle to find exactly the little nugget of information I want that will mean I can just carry on with what I'm doing. Right. Whereas I've got I've got a, I've got a yeah. So it's for, for me, it's lacking the ability to jump into exactly what I want. Whereas for you, it's so dense that you get put off and you just go straight to a, I don't know, a, a digital ocean or something. Dude, I want to say you, I mean, um, uh, I mean, you know, a developer who isn't as familiar as I am. Us with common AWS. developer folk. <laughs> like, do you know what, man? I've got it. I've got your get rich quick scheme. You need to create AWS casts. 
Oh, do you know what? It's funny you said that. So my book that I mentioned in the last episode, I have abandoned the book. I've officially abandoned the yeah, book. Yeah, that's the sort of thing we're after. Because, b- because I've decided to um, essentially make Lara casts for AWS. Yes, man, this is what we need. I like this. So there are a couple of others out there. So there's a, certain, there's a company called a Cloud Guru. Uh, Cloud which is, Guru? Uh, a, so a Cloud one word, ah. dot guru. Um, and it's written by, it's made by a guy called Ryan Cronenberg, who's an Australian guy who lives in London and he's an AWS whiz. But what a cloud guru do um, is they focus on um, a, the AWS certification. So I actually followed his courses when I was getting my AWS certifications. Um, so, but they, they have started branching out into, you know, this is how to make a completely serverless web app. Um, mm-hmm. and they've got, you know, they've got a few like how to, where you, where you essentially build a project and you learn about all the different services that way. But I have got, so as part of my research, this book that I didn't really mention last year, but uh, last, sorry, last episode, but I'm, I don't mind being more open about it now as part of the research for my book. Um, I've got tens of links, uh, that I've been saving as I found them around the web of people saying, Oh, I don't understand this about AWS. All I want to do is deploy a WordPress instance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I want to make a uh, a video platform for people like them. So right at the bottom of the market, as it were, or the or the beginner beginner um level of the market. Um so I've been slowly turning my book into scripts, which I then want to turn into screencasts. Um yeah, I think that's powerful. And those people, although they're entry level once you've got them up to the knowledge that they want, it's likely that you'll be able to introduce more advanced topics because they can kind of grow with you in the platform, which is really useful. Yeah, exactly. And the 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 other reason why I decided to ban the book was part of the reason why I wanted to do something like a book in the first place was because I wanted some um, uh, uh, passive income for my business. And making a book is, or, or sorry, uh, writing a book is one way of doing that. However, it's not recurring revenue. And actually what you need for a business to succeed long-term is recurring revenue. Yeah. Um, and also uh, with a book, you've kind of got an expectation of, um, you know, people might expect you to be continuously updating as, as for example, AWS release new services or things change. So core concepts change, which they, they might make it easier to implement something, uh, which you might have had to go around about way of doing in the past. Um, so therefore you'd be constantly updating for the book for people who've already paid who you might not get any more revenue from. Whereas a subscription service, uh, or a video platform subscription service, um, is recurring revenue, um, and therefore a more sustainable business long-term for me. Yeah. It makes it easier to plan. You can kind of understand, okay, let's say I've got a thousand users. I'm gaining a hundred a month and I'm losing 50 a month. You can kind of, you can kind of plan financially around that, can't you? Whereas you never really know with book sales and that sort of thing. Like you said, it's a one-off purchase. It's you've got to constantly be driving the market in. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the other thing I'm thinking about, um, uh, in terms of screencast versus screenshots in a book is that, um, like AWS are forever tinkering with their UIs and their APIs. And whereas it might be, I can just keep us, I can keep the audio from a video I've recorded and just re-record the, um, re-record the video. 
Yeah, and well, just, you'll be surprised just, how quick it is to just record a screencast, man. Once you like, you you know what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. So, so um, having partly through having experienced this, po- you know, doing this podcast with you now, um, I'm a lot more used to listening to the sound of my own voice. And I did a test, a very a, a very small test screen um, uh, screen capture earlier, um, just to just to have a play around with because I've got almost no experience with. Um, uh, iMovie, okay, um, or, or or any other service. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with, I'm gonna start out with iMovie. Use um, ScreenFlow. You can do everything in ScreenFlow. What's ScreenFlow? So for for anyone like that's wanting to look at doing screencasts of any sort, ScreenFlow is like um, is a Mac app, and you can record straight into your microphone. You can um, you can record the screen. You can even add animations, transitions, and then straight after you've recorded it, it's a really easy cutting up interface. So you can just cut stuff up, drag it back into place. It's so easy to use because uh, the only uh, when I do the Laravel certification videos, I do it in that. The only other thing I do is I go a little extra step into Final Cut Pro because I like to add a little bit of a watermark and some other bits, but and some audio adjustments. But beside that, you don't really need to do that. You can do that all in ScreenFlow now. Oh, nice. I need to download this and have a play with it because it looks like I'm just sort of browsing around their website now. It looks... It's a bit expensive, of... but it, it, honestly, it pretty much does everything now because the version that I started off using, it didn't have very good audio plugin support, but the new version has, so you can actually do everything inside ScreenFlow. Nice. The The only other videos I've done, I've actually made in Keynote because Keynote, you can export directly to uh, whatever Apple's uh, video format is. Uh, AVI? In MOV. Mov even so yeah you can actually export directly to Mov so that was my other idea but again it's it's something I need to get used to over time um, but yeah I so having I've as I said I've recorded a, uh, a um, an initial uh, screencast um, so I now want to have a play around with cutting it down editing it um, and I've got I've got some basic logos I come up with so I want to have a go at adding like a um, a logo a logo title screen. And fading it in and out, and you know the basics, and getting comfortable with simple video and audio work. Yeah, it's really easy once you get used to it, man. Yeah, and I'm sure the other thing is that over time you get quicker at it as well. Yeah, it takes a, it takes a little while. Um, it takes a little while to get a workflow going, uh, but once you've got a workflow going, it, it makes sense. Yeah. So, what did you think of the Laravel meetup then? I yeah, I um, <clears throat> I really like it. So uh, we've got. There was two talks. There was one uh, by a guy called Steve who was talking about Laravel notifications. Steve's, I, I'm going to put the video up soon. I, I really like Steve. He's, he's a proper funny guy. There's just something funny about him, his whole persona and stuff. And his talk was really uh, entertaining, which is really, really cool. And the other talk was by um, a guy called Glenn Jacobs who runs an agency in Chelmsford. But like, do you know, I've known Glenn for a really long time. In fact, this even way back in... Uh, it must have been, hang on, I must have first spoken to Glenn back in 2011. So I've known him a really long time because he runs an agency in Chelmsford and I was working for a creative agency at the time and I was sick of it because I wanted to change and I found that he was hiring a Laravel developer. So I actually called him up and spoke to him. Um, It turns out it didn't really work out for both of us, but we started to basically chat on Skype but all the way back from 2011 to present day basically so it was really cool to see him do a talk because he's transitioning his um he's not transitioning his creative agency kind of served all clients um and everything and it's become a bit of a burden for him because he wanted to then focus down a niche on a specific type of client um incidentally e-commerce clients people that want web shops built 
And uh, he found issues with Shopify being a little bit too basic and Magento being just a complete asshole to work with. Uh, it's got every feature in the world, but it's just the worst. So him and his team there, they've actually started to build a, a what would you call it? You, I mean, you was at the talk. I, I, it's like kind of like an e-commerce system API. You can, you can sort of scaffold out all of the views if you want, but you can just use the API side of it so you can do your own thing. I, I, th I guess that's the right way of describing it, right? Yeah, exactly that. So rather than it being an e-commerce app like Magento, it's kind of more of an e-commerce library, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So you can you can do all of your kind of you can pull the products. So there's a nice admin area where you can sort all the products out and whatnot. But you can then just use an API with I don't know view components or whatever you want to do, Angular or React. You can pull straight from that API. So the I think one of the key problems I, I've worked with Magento for a year and a half, and I've worked with Shopify. One of the problems I think that developers have is that we really like to do things ourselves and we're very like, we like to customize things. But the issue with that is if you use a framework like Shopify, you're limited by the features that they allow you to do. It's very limiting what you can do. With Magento, although you can do everything, actually doing it the Magento way is a nightmare. And I'm not kidding when I say I spent about a day trying to figure out how to hide a search bar on a Magento website. It's ridiculous the way that it works. So I think they've tackled a Maltin actually are a UK startup that got SV uh, San Francisco money to go out there and do their thing. And they are a similar idea, but they've gone down the software as a service route. And it's interesting because Glenn's taking the approach where he knows that he's getting use out of this system for his clients. So his idea was, well, why not open source it? He's going to make the money from his clients anyway, and other people can use it for free. Um, he can help maintain it, but also the community can help maintain it. Um, so I think that's his idea. But as far as I'm aware, Glenn's never maintained an open source solution long term, whereas Alex, you have. So you can perhaps glean some light on whether or not it's a good idea or not, because I personally haven't got a clue. Um, so I was so, so watching Glenn's talk. I, I, I sat there watching it. Really interesting talk. Really funny as well. I, I, I sat there thinking, oh, I really wish this was out four months ago uh, because I was actually building, um, I had to I had to migrate a Shopify uh, shop into a Laravel site Ooh. for a client. And I, I essentially built a custom shop in Laravel, um, which I've kind of done before. And this one wasn't too advanced. Um, like they, didn't, they didn't need to deal with... Um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They didn't need to deal with non-UK shipping um, right. or any, anything particularly advanced, no vouchers or anything like that. Just simple, add things to a cart, which you just use a session for, and then um, a checkout flow, which Laravel's got cashier. Um, oh, but the, the, what what he was showing off in terms of like the product management, sorry, the, the or the stock management, um, it, it was just awesome. Um, and also the translation, the, the fact that he's, they, what I loved about it was they thought ahead and built translations in as a core factor. Yeah. Uh, because um, last year I built a, uh, or I was involved even with another um, e-commerce platform and it was or on a on a client project, sorry. And that needed translations. And this platform they were using, I can't remember the name of it now, but it did not have um, uh, internationalization as a first class citizen it was right. a feature of the platform oh, it was a pain in the ass to get it, to get it um, working like that we had to do some really hacky stuff with the database um, so yeah so I was really impressed with what they've got my I only concern actually because there was there's a channels idea there different channels I don't know if you saw that 
I asked him when we was in the pub afterwards getting a drink. I said to him, have you thought about the idea of expanding that out further to have like a, a channel for Amazon and a channel for eBay? Because that was a ma- when I worked in e-commerce, that was a massive problem was managing managing the stock and having a central platform to keep the customer commu- like informed of what's going on. Um, having one central place to do that was really, really difficult. Um, so if he can sort of now that as well. And he, he made a good point that, it's going to be very flexible in terms of being able to build plugins on top of the existing system. So I think I think that's going to be an interesting thing as well for a lot of people that own them e-commerce shops that also want to do that multi-channel marketing across different, um, not multi-channel marketing, multi-channel um, e-commerce. It, it should provide a really interesting solution. Yeah, so, so this is one of the things that we tried to do uh, this client project um, earlier this year that I was doing um, because they, they were actually selling stock online from their own shop. Um, And so they would, they had a till system, which um, had its own stock management setting set up. And then they were, so they're they're essentially managing their stock partly through the till system and partly through Shopify. And it was a nightmare. So what kind of one of the things I looked into was whether or not the Laravel app could become the source of all knowledge for stock and then it could use the APIs by the till provider to push, uh, or to, to to push stock updates into the till. Right. But oh, uh, it was it was a nightmare. But yeah, I, I think multi channels is a great idea because, as you said, you've got the Amazons and the Ebays, but also you've also you've there's also physical premises as well where it could be really useful. Oh, good point. Yeah, yeah, it all ties in. I've got a friend, a really close friend, who uh, works for an agency um, up north. And since he started working there about two years ago, he's gone completely grey because all he does is work on Magento sites. <laughs> the fact that he has any hair at all is a miracle, but I kid you not, he has gone grey in two years. It's the worst. I don't know why any like I know why people use it. It's the it's the most fully featured e-commerce platform you can get off the shelf. But like, I don't know, man. Honestly, it was the worst year and a half, two years of my life working on that thing. Uh, in fact, when impl- when like recruiters email me and they say, "Hey David, I've got a fantastic role here for a Magento like developer for forty five grand a year," I actually email them back things like, "I'd rather paper cut the webs of my fingers and bathe them in vinegar than ever work with Magento <laughs> again." I don't get replies, unfortunately. But <laughs> <laughs> so 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 the other, the other thing I came away with uh, from Glenn's talk is, um, I, I think it's awesome that they're open sourcing it. Um, and I, I actually, I, I genuinely do think it's going to be picked up quite quickly by the Laravel community um, because it's solving a real problem that is not otherwise currently solved in a in a nice way. Yeah. But um, oh man, I, I I do I do hope that they um they well or even I guess I'm concerned for them because like I I so I've run a an open source project now for five years. Um, it's an implementation of an OAuth two server in PHP. And it's uh, it's had about two and a half million downloads over five years. It's got three thousand or so stars on GitHub. Was well, core um, core part of the Laravel framework now, right? Yeah, it's now a core. Yeah, exactly. It's now it's the library that powers Laravel Passport, which is the OAuth library that um, yeah that's part of Laravel now. Um, and it, yeah, it's it's. It, it, it's it's great running an open source project and it's amazing to think that um you know software i've written i know is being run at the bbc it's being run at yahoo wow. gumtree um i know parts of ebay are actually running it um <laughs> the big uh, public broadcaster in america uh npr i know they use it internally 
Um, so it's amazing to think I've got software that I've written running in all these big organizations and it's been a great help for my CV and actually for finding work as well. There's a big um, buck coming, right? Yeah, but oh, it, it's a burden. It really is a burden. And part of that's been because I've been running that project by myself. Um, and, you know, there's been about 80 contributors over the years to it, which has been awesome. But I'm to some extent the benevolent dictator of the project. And um, I, I, so I had to make, I made, um, I worked with Mozilla um, this past year. They have got a program where they sponsor open source projects to have, um, or security related open source projects to have penetration testing. Okay. And um, uh, like evaluations by professional security experts, um, and so I had to make some changes on the recommendation of these experts who looked at this library. Uh, and the backlash I had off people was really unpleasant. And it's it's not the main reason, but I have actually, or I did actually decide whilst I was on my holiday uh, a few weeks ago to find a new maintainer. Right. Um, because, because managing an open source project is, it's a burden. I get probably somewhere in the region of 50, and a, 50 to a hundred emails, um, a week from people either asking questions about OAuth. A week? Seriously? Seriously, honestly. Um, asking, either you asking questions. Do you answer them all? On and off. It, it depends. So, so, so some of them are asking questions about OAuth, uh, itself as a protocol. Others just are picking a fight. Some people asking questions that are more appropriate for GitHub issues. And I'm not, uh, I would normally tell them, or uh, ask them to open up a GitHub issue because at least I can, uh, other people can find it and hopefully not email my private email address instead. Um, but it's a burden though. And it's, it's, it, it weighs on you knowing that you've got essentially a responsibility and you've made yourself responsible to other people, even though you aren't, you kind of are. See, the anarchist um, in me would find it really fun to build a project up to the state that you've built yours in and then just literally disappear. It'd be great fun just to watch the world burn and realise <laughs> like how delicate the uh, the fact that we rely on open source like that is. Because you're well within your right to just decide, hang on, like this isn't working for me and whatnot. And um, yeah, it's, I don't know, I think I think a lot of people expect too much out of open source and the people that maintain it. Oh yeah, definitely. and. Um, you know, I, I've, I've, I've been in that position where I've had expectations from people. Fortunately, over the years, I've gotten to know quite a few people in the PHP world and I can just send them a private message on send Twitter text. and saying like, hi there, or yeah, I'll send them a text and say, you know, oh, I've just found this bug. You couldn't help me just solve it. Could you please? I've got a client deadline coming up. Um, so that's really helpful if you, if you know people, but if you don't know people, you can become reliant on people. Like, like just think of the sort of, um, uh, the sort of volumes of email and tweets that someone like Taylor Otwell must get or any other benevolent dictator of any other big open source project because uh, they, they must be inundated all the time. And I, I, I feel like I've experienced a small, a small part of that. Um, but anyway, the, the, the other reasons why I've decided to, to hand over the reins is because I don't actually use the project anymore. Um, I've probably, I've probably done somewhere in the region of about hundred custom installations of it over the years. Um, so custom or two servers for, for companies. Right. But, um, I've not done one in almost a year now and it felt a bit weird being responsible for a project that I'm not using myself. 
Yeah. Well, um, if you're not getting anything out of it yourself, then what's the point, you know? Yeah. And, and, and the other thing is that I'm even like kind of stepping away from PHP altogether. So as I've mentioned before, so to, to, to not only have an open source project that I'm not using, but also to have it in a language that I don't enjoy using anymore. Um, yeah. So anyway, I, I, I've, I've put a call out there. I've had some emails come back. I've had a few students get in touch saying, oh yeah, I, you know, I know a bit of PHP. I can take on a project that, you know, has three, 3,000 stars on GitHub and <laughs> I, I'm happy to deal with the burden of hundreds of emails and uh, GitHub comments and at mentions a week. <laughs> um, but then I also have had some really good candidates who I'm slowly reaching out to and replying on via email and hopefully I'll, I'll find someone or even better, a couple of people um who can take the reins from me that's good at least you've got some people interested man and you're not just sitting there like floundering trying to find anyone yeah so so I, what, what i've said is that i'm i'm happy to stay and maintain the project for now um i don't mind really how long it takes to find the right person but it does have to be the right person because um especially because it's quite a niche project because it's you know it's a, it's, it's a project that focuses on a particular topic in this case OAuth 2 so this person needs to be either an expert in OAuth or or know you know really know how it works yeah um and so you know can understand why the certain decisions made in the framework and such and I'll help train someone up if needs be if they're not as au fair with it as I am but um yeah I do feel like I've had some sort of like a um a mental burden or mental pressure released from me a bit like you know every time i've handed in my uh my notice for a for a job yeah. i've had that little bit of pressure um, that's such a good feeling off my shoulders so uh yeah uh so good luck to uh glenn and his team i think i think it's awesome um and i hope they uh aren't really put off by the the assholes who are out there who no, make who, who make who make un- open source unenjoyable yeah for sure. And, and I think maybe what's made that switch for you, like you said, is if you're not using it all the time, you're not getting anything out of it, then like you don't have any enthusiasm for it. So I think until until that point comes for Glenn and the team over there at the agency, I think it will kind of, it'll probably work out quite well for them because they'll benefit from the, the community additions and whatnot. And the community will benefit from the, the platform as a whole. But yeah, I suppose if they stop working in e-commerce and they go into a different domain entirely, then... Yeah, maybe they'll also look to find a, a new maintainer or whatever. But it sound, from the sound of it, it sounds like they 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 might go down the Magento route because you could actually say Magento is actually a similar model, right? In that you can download it for free, but they've also got an enterprise option. Yeah, I um, think it wouldn't surprise me if that's the route that he goes down. There, 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 quite a few people though have made uh, businesses out of their open source projects. I'm going to look at Laravel itself or GitLab, um, right? Yeah, GitLab. Um, yeah, so so open source as a business, you know, increasing more and more is a like a viable option, I guess. Yeah, it's yeah. I think I think you're right. It's just making sure you've got a product that that people want and need, and that you can also um, get away not get away with that. It makes it sound like it is it doesn't provide value, but it, making sure that you've got something that you could provide uh, value on that people are willing to pay for as like an extra bit on top of the free tier. It's a fine line. It's not it's not a game I'm. I think I'd want to play. It's like kind of big league startup golden balls, and I'm um, I'm not sure I'd want to risk the amount of time into it. But I do think he's got a good product there. So, yeah, absolutely, uh, and yeah, yeah, all the best of them. Mm. Good luck, Neon and the team. Uh, 
<laughs> I've been dying to talk to you about this. <laughs> Before we started this podcast, I said to Alex, like, what do you think of the new Apple event? What do you think? And he's like, save it. Save it for the podcast. So uh, tell me your thoughts. Let's go. New Apple event uh, announcing the iPhone 8, 8 Plus and X and watch and all that other jazz. Uh, so first of all, uh, I have to say, I can't wait to uh, meet up at the Apple Town Square next time we meet up. What's the Apple Town Square? Oh, I d- oh okay. That joke. Forget that joke. <laughs> when did did you start? Did you watch the whole stream? No, not from the beginning because I I was like I I got back from on being on site and I was running around like a nutter putting the kids to bed and stuff. So I got down just as there was a woman talking about um uh sort of Apple talking of teaching you programming and illustration. Did oh, I miss so- like a bit of a stupid thing then? Oh yeah. So ba- basically, it sounds like they're rebranding Apple stores to become Apple Town Squares. No. Oh, it's it, it was it was it was true, um, Silicon true Silicon Valley. Yeah, it it was just bollocks basically. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Apple Town Squares are a thing now, um, and um, as a result of all the leaks that have come out, Apple decided to give us fifteen minute update on their entire retail, um, uh, retail part of their business, and we now know intimate details of their new store in Milan, and oh. So the woman you started watching, uh, I think her name's Angela someone, she was formerly the CEO of Burberry. Um, yeah, oh, it was really boring. I think she was also the only, I think that she was also the only woman they had on stage. Because right. Apple events, do you, do you ever notice how few women there are at Apple events? I do, but I think, was it WWDC? There was actually a, a considerably more amount than I was used to. It was either that or maybe I'm thinking of the Google one, actually, because Google have quite a considerable amount of women um, presenting. Yeah, yeah. The Google, the Google ones are always really good for you know a good diverse setup, um, and also I noticed the Google ones they also have people who aren't just Americans. Um, uh, you get people from all of the you know all their employees from all of the world contribute to it. But that's a change. Um, oh no, the Apple ones are always very middle aged white man. Yeah, they're just so um, they're just so American. Everything about uh, it is so American. I, I find it really off putting, but um, yeah, so. My thoughts. So the new Dick Tracy watch. Um, <laughs> I'm actually quite. I'm actually quite excited about that. Um, I am as well. I, do, do you have an Apple Watch or a smartwatch? At no, all? I don't. Because one of the primary reasons was that I was like, well, I can't just go out for a run without it, without my phone. But we're past that problem now. Yeah. So I, I've got the original Apple Watch um, that I bought because at the time I was working for a company full of, which is full of iPhone developers and. I got jealous and bought one, basically. <laughs> right. Um, so I, I've got I've got the, like the dark or the jet black one with a black bands, and I do like it. I don't really use it for anything other than telling the time and uh, fitness tracking, but I do like it. Like I went for a run today, and I I've got all my measurements and you know how far I ran, and this is the route I went and things like that. Is that but primarily I do, what you use it for? Yeah, for fitness. Okay. Um, I don't I don't think I've actually got any apps installed on it. Oh, no, no. The only one I've got is a, a weather app that I use. Um, and I've got that as, a, I think they call it a complication. So I could just look down in the bottom right hand, uh, the bottom right hand corner. I can see what the the weather outside is, you know, because I can't just look out a window. I have to look at my watch instead. But So you would get the Series 3? Yeah, I think so. I, cause as I said, I, I went for a run today. I've got an iPhone 7 Plus, which is humongous. Uh, and I've decided to go with a naked iPhone for a change instead of having it in a case. Um, and I was petrified the entire run that it was going to fall out and shatter. Um, 
So to be, yeah, I quite like the idea of going for a run. It's still recording all the stats that I nerd out over. Um, and being able to listen to music, right? I, I thought that was that, that was really clever that you can yes. still use the Bluetooth for Bluetooth headphones and all that. Yeah, so I've got the AirPods, which are by far the best Apple products they've released in years, in my opinion. Oh, really? Um, are they good yeah, quality? Well, I absolutely love them. I'm not, I'm not an audiophile. Um, I do listen to music, but um, I generally listen to po- to podcasts, and they're they're great for spoken word, uh, and for my level of audiophilia, uh, they they sound perfectly good to me for when I'm listening to Spotify. Okay. I might, um, I might have to go and try some somewhere if that's even possible. Probably not because of hygiene. Uh, no, they, you can actually try them on in the stores. Uh, they, 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 um, they've got like little condoms they put on them. Oh, okay. Oh, I can't think of a better <laughs> word than condom. But yeah, they, I know, yeah, but I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, like a, yeah, just a you know, you know, you know, when you go to like the doctors and they put something in your ear. Oh yeah, and they, they put like, like a little plastic shield. Yeah, they they put those on them. Um. So yeah, so yeah, I, I quite like the idea of maybe upgrading to the watch and. I know uh, Ash has got a smartwatch, a Withings watch, which has now been bought by Nokia, and he just constantly complains that they've destroyed the iPhone app and it's useless now and never works. So I might pass down my Apple Watch, which is perfectly functional uh, when I get a if it, or if I get a a new Apple Watch. Yeah, I, I'm. You know, we got we bought an Apple Watch when they first come out because my wife Courtney she wanted one, and so. I went to the shop, uh, got one as a little surprise, come back, and she was all excited. She put it on, and she wore it for about half hour to an hour, and she was like, I just don't get it. I don't know why I've just spent 300-odd quid on this. She was like, I don't, like, I'm not sure what it's doing for me. And she was right, because I thought, all right, great, perfect excuse. Now I've got a new toy to play with. Because I thought, I won't bother taking it back. I'll just use it, even though it had a pink wristband. I, I could change that. But I, I put it on and uh, I, I was I was also the same. I was just thinking, this just I'm not sure I'm really into it. But do, do you know that this this new one excites me a little bit. I think they've I think you know with we're the third iteration now and I think they've made a lot of changes and um one of the most having two kids that are incredibly uh sensitive to noise when they're sleeping the one thing that really excites me about the Apple Watch, and it sounds silly, and I know it's an expensive alarm, but is the fact that you can just have it vibrate on your wrist without actually any audible noise. Yeah, I use that um, if I if I'm on a train, and I fall asleep, or if I know I'm going to fall asleep, so I set an alarm so that it, it vibrates. Ah, um, great! To idea. wake me up. Um, yeah, I've used that a couple of times. Um, the, the 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 other thing that I thought as I was I was watching it is how long until we see like youths on a bus listening to uh, music out loud from their watches. Oh, yeah. So they're, no, they're no longer carrying phones. Bellends. That's the worst <laughs> when you're on a train and there's some, like, someone just sitting there blast. Oh. <laughs> but it's, I'm, the trouble is, I'm not, like, man enough to say, can you not be a dick? So I just sit there and tut under my breath and put my own headphones in. Oh, <laughs> uh, no. Uh, yeah, I, I'd be the same. I yeah. wouldn't, I wouldn't, yeah, I probably wouldn't dare say anything. Do the totally British thing and be totally non-confrontational. <laughs> but go and slag them off on a podcast. <laughs> um, so then they had the Apple TV 4K, which is the worst name I think they've ever come out with. I agree. Uh, it, it, but it was the way that I think it was Eddie Q came out and said, oh, Apple TV 4K. And it just sounds ridiculous. And also the logo was like super tacky, just smacking on a 4K. What it sounded to me like was that they... 
there was this like public expectation that they would update the Apple TV and they didn't really want to bother too much. So they just thought, I tell you what, let's just throw 4K on it. We can't really call it anything different because it actually doesn't really do much different. And by the way, can you, do you know, I don't like, I class myself as relatively well un, like versed with video, but I don't understand HDR and really what HDR is. Apart, it so, looks like it was just increasing the saturation of shit. Yeah, so it's it's a wider colour gamut. So going that's from... A, that's based on your TV, right? Yeah, so um, so there's 4K, which is just a you know a doubling of the resolution from 1080p, um, which you wouldn't really notice. But HDR is the it uses the wider colour gamut, so the colours are richer and the blacks are blacker and what have you. So it's a more vibrant colour, which is apparently more noticeable than going from 1080 to 4K. <laughs> Right, okay. Uh, I mean, that tweet that you tweeted with uh, Eddie Q, two frames on the left, it said 10.8. No, on the left, it said 4K and he's in like a relatively dull shirt. And on the right hand side, it says HDR and his like shirt's bright red. <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, will- I'm going to skip on the Apple TV. You know, I've got an Amazon Fire Stick. I, I'm really happy with it because all I use it for is Plex. Yeah, so, so I, I have got the Apple TV, the, the, the not 4K one. And... It's all right. It was. It's, de- it's definitely an improvement of the old old one, which I used to have, but um, it's way too expensive. I think like I- I'm fairly sure you can get like a Roku or an Amazon Fire Stick, which are 4K for under 100 pounds, and this is yeah, you can get what- an Amazon Fire Box for 4K for 80 quid. Yeah, and they're coming out. They're keeping the old Apple TV, which isn't 4K, which is just the way Apple do things now. They keep all the old products, um, and then they've. Charging the 4K one at 179 dollars, which is way too expensive. Fuck! I noticed that with the iPhone lineup as well that they were keeping even down to the 5S, and I was thinking that's a massive lineup of phones. Like, I don't want to be one of them people that said Steve Jobs wouldn't have done it that way, but like, I think Apple's like selling point years ago was their simplicity of you had like a choice of maybe three products in a lineup. That's and and, the, and your and yeah, and your only choice was what how what what storage size do you want. Yeah, you you yeah you get you get the best device this year, and then the only conscious choice you have to make is, do you want it with a thirty-two gig hard drive, sixty-four, one hundred twenty-eight? Yeah, but no, you're quite you're quite right. The I'm like, the other problem with Apple keeping all their old devices around is that as a you you know for the developers, they've got to test it on even more devices which are less and less capable, and especially that um what they call it the the the, the What's the mini one called? The, the SE. Five. Oh yeah, the SE. The, yeah. the iPhone SE. You know, it's got a tiny mini screen, and uh, the re- the resolution difference between that and the like the seven plus or the Massive, plus size right? models is huge. Um, I noticed that Apple- when I was doing iOS development and I was testing between the two, and like if I'd loaded up an iPhone seven plus, my screen would be all like filled. Like, and I've got five. I've got the LG five K monitor. It would pretty much fill up most of the screen. And we went down to an SE, and it was like tiny, mad. Yeah. The only other thing I've got to say about the Apple TV bit of the event was, God, doesn't that game look boring? <laughs> what? <laughs> I, just, I literally walked out into the kitchen and made my uh, little one a bottle at that point because I was like, I'm not interested in games on the telly. Oh, it, was, it wasn't even worth paying attention to. It was, it was flappy birds, but in 3D and she can't crash. <laughs> yeah, I think they were struggling for, for content there. The augmented reality stuff, though, I think that's got some legs. See, I'm not sure. I think augmented reality is going to be the new taking a photo outside with an iPad. (laughs) 
No, like in terms do, of do the way they mean? demoed it with a game, I think I, I'm not interested in any of that shit. It doesn't provide like real value. I'm really interested in like I've seen. I like the idea of what I heard IKEA was doing, where you can actually visually see stuff in a room. And I've seen one demo of like actually being able to like run the phone around the borders of a room to measure the room. Yeah, that they, they, they look awesome. Um, yeah, I was just being snarky about the games, but yeah, the, yeah, the I'm utility, not interested in the games either. The, the, the utility, the utility style apps though look really awesome. Uh, the, the the best one I've seen still is came out quite early on, um, and I think the guys actually open sourced it now. But basically, you select on a map where you want to go, and it it overlays arrows on the streets for you. Oh, and uh, uh, well, I'll put a link in the show notes. It's really really cool, um, and uh, yeah. Actually, I've just found it here. Yeah, the guy has open sourced it. That's the sort of um, stuff I'm interested in, you know, the stuff that can provide real value day to day, like to your life and make things easier and better rather than just sort of playing games in a playground when it'd probably be better for you to actually be playing basketball than to be looking at fucking 3D T-Rexes on a basketball court. <laughs> Although having said that, I, I, I do kind of wish I knew I had some friends who... Uh, made 3D models because I think you can make some amazing educational apps um, with AR kit. So there was a, there was one demo I saw early on when just straight after WWDC where it was the moon landing, um, and basically basically you could watch in real time the like the uh, Neil Armstrong's pods land on the moon, right? Um, in real time and hear the audio. And you could see like the the thruster movements and the adjustments they had to make. It it was just really cool. And whilst that might be quite a geeky one for you know classes, yeah, but it's um, immersive, isn't it? And it yeah, it's immersive. It's- Another one I thought the, the one I came up with at the top of my own uh, that I thought might be cool is something like a demonstration of like the water cycle. Um, what do you mean so the you water ju- cycle? So 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 you, like you'd point your phone at a desk and you'd see um, some mountains and the sea and clouds and you see like water evaporate and then you know become clouds go over the mountains roll down into the rivers which then go back into the sea and cycle repeats but being able to visualize it i just yeah but anyway i I just think there's some cool educational app opportunities there but i don't know anyone who makes who knows how to do 3d models um and i don't have the time or patience to sit and learn something like blender 3d modeling is not too hard it's when it gets like it's when you get crazy complex models and like when you need to like when you're talking i used to work in the visual effects industry and so it's when you get like the crazy lighting and animations and fluid dynamics and all that sort of stuff if if you can't get that stuff out of the box with apple's sdk it can it can be a bit of a pain in the ass to do and it also like super like processor intensive i know i know i know you get the lighting out of the box and also the the other reason why um, but developers have loved AR kits because it does. I, th- I think it, it gets you quite a way there in ways that other AR SDKs haven't before. So in terms of you don't need to worry about any of the mapping stuff or um, worry about um, making sure things are the correct visual size. Oh, okay. Um, you can just so, handle so, the scale. Yeah. So basically, you just give it a three D object and you say it's at this scale, and it um, the AR kit SDK kind of works it all out for you. And if you like point your, a bit like the, the demo where the guy is measuring the room up, it also keeps states for you as well. Right. So so you can drop something at one point in the room, then go the full circle of the room and come back to where you started off and your original <laughs> object that you left there is still there. 
That's great. So what they're doing then, they're abstracting away all of that and just basically, I suppose, they're giving you just a 3D space. You don't have to worry about how the person's moving around. Essentially, they're mapping the person to a camera in that 3D space and you, all you've got to worry about is just saying, here's the models and here's how I might want it laid out. Super smart, man. That that looks fun. Um, I can't wait. I'm going to get the new iPhone. Which one? The 8 or the X? Uh, no, nah, not the X. I, do you know what? I was really underwhelmed with the X. Especially when it went wrong in the demo, I, I had to laugh a bit. The the one thing that really put me off was they show, when they showed the video and how that weird notch kind of, the, the, basically the video, they didn't square off the video. So the notch goes over the video. So you've got a portion miss, missing of the video. Yeah, I was wondering how that works with things like photos and video, because surely you're going to miss part of the frame. And also, I don't like that notch. I don't think it looks good. No, you, I, I don't understand why they didn't mirror it on the bottom, so you could still have a home button, and then it would look at least it would look symmetric. Yeah, and I, to be honest, I think that they got. I don't know. I, I've. I mean, I've been reading the Mac Rumors website. It wouldn't surprise me if they were thinking that they could get a Touch ID under the screen somewhere, and they couldn't, and it was a bit of a last minute change, um, because it doesn't feel like. To me, it doesn't feel like an Apple product. It doesn't feel nice and sleek. Whereas you look at the iPhone 8s and they feel a little bit Apple-y. And the, even the iPhone SE, I think, still a fantastic design. But that iPhone X, to me, just, it didn't feel Apple-y. And I don't know why. No, I agree. I think the other problem they've got is that Samsung have been making phones that look like that for, what, well over a year now. So it does kind of look like, a bit like a Samsung phone, maybe. Or yeah. um, what's the other one? The Essential phone, I think it's called. Yeah, that hipster new phone, yeah. <laughs> I also thought the way they presented it was a bit strange. You know, we've got this shiny new iPhone 8. We're skipping the iPhone 7S. We'll go straight to the iPhone 8. And then, oh no, that phone's shit. What you really want is this. Yeah, it was kind of... But when you really look at the features set, I was thinking there's actually... I'm not actually really getting anything much more at all with the iPhone X, except like less in my bank account. Yeah, there were a couple of things that appealed to me. Like I, I always appreciate whenever whenever I upgrade the camera improvements because I love I love taking pictures of my phone and I've got the 7 plus and the portrait mode is one of the best things I've ever added to the camera I've got some amazing photos um see where 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 it takes a photo of the objects in the big, in the foreground and then blurs the background it just, they just look stunning I'm kind of gutted because I I really I don't think I can have a phone that big I've got an Nexus 6p knocking around it was just too big for me like, I don't like big phones anymore like, so if I'm going to get one I'm going to go with the iPhone 8 but it doesn't obviously have that portrait mode so I've got that fear of missing out which when I think about it it's not. I'm not really missing out anything but I don't like the fact <laughs> that I feel like I am I'm sure I'll give it a couple more years and they'll work out how to shrink the camera the dual camera module into a size that they can fit onto the smaller phone that's all it is isn't it it's just a size limitation at the moment it, yeah it's physics L literally physics so I'm currently eating a Subway chocolate cookie, which is why it might sound like I'm eating. <laughs> it's really good, man. It's not a prep level like, of good, but it's good. I can't eat any of Subway's cookies because um, they've got one that's got macadamia nuts and I've got a really severe nut allergy. And so I just consider them all contaminated. What happens if you was to eat one? Was it like, is it a hospital job for you? Yeah. So I, um, I'll go into anaphylactic shock and then I carry EpiPens with me. So I'd have to stab myself and then go to hospital and have it reversed. Fucking hell, man. Has that, has that caused you like, um, have you, do you have to quite adjust your life quite a bit for that? Yeah. So I, my, my parents are both really good cooks and I learned to cook from them. And I 
Um, so I've always cooked from fresh. So I know I never really have to worry about what I'm making myself. And there's never any nuts in the house, much to Ash's annoyance, because <laughs> uh, he really likes things like cashew nuts. But um, yeah, it's it's more eating out of restaurants, which is this is this is why I built myself an app uh, so I could help translate my allergies into other languages. Yeah, I think that's really really clever. So yeah, uh, that's that's <laughs> that's that's my allergy. <laughs> <laughs> well, good to know, man. No, I've, ne- yeah. I've never spoken to someone that's actually had a severe allergy, so it just, um, just interested me. Um, yeah, yes, it, no, it is, it is life-threatening. Um, yeah, unfortunately. Mad, man, mad. I, d- I, I did discover, though, whilst I was in Italy, I can eat pesto. Um, right. So I, I've always avoided pesto because it's got pine nuts in it. But um, Was you drunk and just thought, I'll give it a go? Well, no, not exactly. Um Maybe well, maybe I had had something to drink, but um, <laughs> one of the girls who's out there with us, she's a nurse. And I just said to her, "Look, can you not have any more alcohol for fifteen minutes and just observe me whilst I try uh, pesto?" Because the pesto, all I've heard from everyone who was going out there with us, because there was ten of us out in Italy, and they all, all of them apart from me, like went last year as well, and they all said just how incredible the fresh pesto is. And so I've, I've been doing some Googling around to see whether or not pine nuts are actually a nut. Because you know how if you look at an ingredients label, some of the ingredients are in bold? Yeah. Um, so there's t- uh, 14 allergens that have to be in bold, um, but pine nuts aren't one of them. And so I was Googling to see if people who have nut allergies also have allergies to pine nuts. And apparently it can happen, but it's quite rare. Right. So I thought, okay, well, I'll try it. And they just taste more like a, a seed to me. And I really like things like pumpkin seeds um, or sunflower seeds. So it just, it's a bit seedy to me. Yeah. Um, nice? in, in taste. Yeah. Oh, pesto. Love it. Good. You know, and our final meal we had out there, I made a big vat of uh, pesto pasta, which, you know, was a great send off. <laughs> Yeah, I you know what I'm so like <clears throat> unexperienced with food. I go out with like foodie friends and they're like, Should we get this and that? Like, do you want some of that? Do you like that? And I'm like, I've never tried it in my life. And like I've gone to barbecues with foodie friends and they've got all these like crazy things. When I go to barbecue, back when I used to eat meat, it was like burgers, sausages, and if you were lucky, a little bit of salmon in tin foil. Um, but <clears throat> yeah, I'm super like sheltered when it comes to nice food so i've just i rarely experience it so except for when i went to utrecht man honestly delicious delicious salmon there was amazing like, like yeah I'd, I'd i'd love to travel more around uh, the netherlands it's, it's one of the countries in europe i've not been to that I, i've had on my list for a while it's cool you just got to be careful of the bikes because they there's like no forgiveness and like with a car in the uk you're used to listening like almost you use your auditory senses as well it's like i can hear there's no cars and you kind of almost maybe start to cross the road and then you'll look. Whereas you can't get away with that in the Netherlands because those bikes are like ninja silent and they'll just wipe you out. Yeah, we, we found that in Kyoto uh, in Japan. Are there uh, bikes there? Oh yeah, Kyoto is a big cycling city. Oh. And yeah, I almost got run over a couple of times uh, just by stepping out. Because the other thing is, in um, Japan's one of the few countries where they drive on the left like we do. And so y- y- you kind of get into that mental attitude like you just described of, oh, you know, fuck it, I'll just step out because I know the road's really well here. So, you know. You just I'll feel just... like home, yeah? Yeah, exactly. You feel like home and step they drive out on and the then... correct side of the road. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, cool. I want to get to Ultrax one, one day and Amsterdam. So so, so the, the other thing I, I did like about the new iPhones was the wireless charging. 
Yes, and, actually, fact, I was, and, and I was surprised that they were using an existing standard. Yeah, that's not Apple-like at all. No, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm quite looking forward to that about it actually. That I can, I, it's um, it, it kind of like sucks that there's not like because now I want to have all my devices do that. Yeah, and did you see the Air Power Pad? Yeah, that's you, a, that's such a terrible name again. But um, oh, that was so useful for traveling. Like I'm, I'm just looking. Uh, I'm recording my bedroom today, and I'm just looking over at my bedside table, and I've got what two lightning cables and a Apple Watch uh, cable attached to like this wooden dock I've got on my bedside table. Yeah, so you're like having to have three power points there, whereas like their I suppose their idea is just one power plug, one mat, throw three devices on it or whatever you want on it really, um, and it will just charge. I think it's I, I think it's really good if they can nail that down. That'll be so nice because it will like stop the clutter um it'd be nice as well if they've got even bigger ones that i can just like me and my wife can put all of our stuff down in a little bit somewhere and just know it'll be charged in the morning um and it'll force me to keep the devices away from the bed which is uh yeah get that get that screen blur away uh, that that screen uh what they call it that blue light off of me of a night time just to turn your phone over so no, it. I mean just because I'm like, like it's like oh, I just I just browse through Reddit and then by the time do, I check the time, it's midnight. Do you think? Do you use things like night vision and the um what flux on your Mac? Yeah, I do on um yeah, I do on the Mac. Um, and do you know what? If if I'm doing color work at night, like maybe I'm doing some videos and I'm doing some color correcting, I'm thinking everything's looking really fucking orange. What's going on? And I realise I've got that on. When you turn it off, my god, do your eyes hurt? Oh no, it's the same. It, it really annoys me because um, the, I always get caught out in Sketch because I know you use Illustrator, but I use Sketch because the other thing that Sketch does is it it doesn't use um it doesn't standardise to an RGB colour space like the Adobe apps do. Mm. So I will be using um I'll I'll be doing late night work in Sketch, which is which is using a wider colour gamut, which is what my iMac and my new MacBook Pro have got, and then I'll switch to like an older test device. Um, which isn't running flux and isn't running it's got not it's got a standard rgb color output and one of the colors we messed up but all you can just see is blue as you just you blind yourself you go, what you the fuck is that <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've been there many times yeah it's uh yeah but that moment when you switch the off button and it goes blue and you're like ah my eyes absolutely absolutely hideous um okay so that, that might be a good uh Good place to wrap up today's uh, today's episode, really. Yeah. Um, so you're going to get a new iPhone? Yeah. Well, in October, when my accountant tells me I'm allowed to spend money on the business again. <laughs> and Apple Watch as well, maybe? Possibly? I really, really want an Apple Watch, but I've got to convince my wife that it's something that I should be able to get. Just business expense, because you're going to become an Apple Watch developer now, right? Mm. That's how you justify it, right? She, I've tried this shit, man. She's smart. She's, she's, <laughs> she knows when I'm bullshitting. Um, that one, that uh, that one's going to be a tough sell. I've got to play the long game, but I'll get there. Maybe by like <laughs> December, I'll have an Apple Watch. <laughs> yeah, I've got to, um, yeah, pluck up the courage as well to kind of justify. You know, I've already had a quite an expensive year. I bought AirPods. I bought uh, an iPad Pro. I bought a new MacBook. Yeah, but your end, year ends end of September, right? No, it doesn't for uh, you, does no, it? No, my, my, mine's end of April. Ah. So I, I, I'm six months into it. Well, no, not quite. Yeah, I'm almost six months into my um, my accounting year already. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you've got a little way to go. 
Yeah. Um, yeah, and I've already had quite a bit of time off this year as well, so I can't really justify it in terms of like massive expenses anymore. So maybe yeah. maybe in the new year. <clears throat> yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, that's why I'm going to wait till October. But then the problem is you get around to April and you think, well, can I just hold in a few months until <laughs> September when the new one comes out and then you're back in the same cycle. So yeah, you just got to yeah. commit at some point. Yeah, exactly. I know I know the feeling. Cool. All right. Um, <clears throat> well, we'll catch up and uh, probably speak in another two weeks then. Yes. Fun chat. Um, and if you, the listener, have got any thoughts, feedback, advice, questions, anything that we can use to give us extra content for, for next time's episode or for the episode next time even, uh, please do email us or tweet us. Um, we'd really appreciate it. Yep, and if you're listening on um, if you're listening on the, the Slack channels that we happen to be on, then feel free to ping us on there as well. We're always uh, always around and open for questions and whatnot. So yeah, thank you for tuning in, and uh, Alex, we'll see you and speak to you again in about two weeks. Cheers. Cheers. Bye.